just a few verses to verse number 18 in chapter 33 and kind of get a running start uh, into the chapter. And Jacob came to Shalom, a city of Shechem, which is in the land of Canaan, uh, when he came in from Pandaram and pitched his tent before the city. And he bought a parcel of a field where he had spread his tent at the hand of the children of Hamar, uh, Shechem's father, for an hundred pieces of money. And he erected there an altar and called it El Elohi Israel. And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the, the son of Hamar, the Hivite prince of the country, saw her, he took her and lay with her and defiled her. And his soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel and spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah his daughter. Now his, uh, uh, his sons were with his cattle in the field. And Jacob held his peace until they were come. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out unto Jacob to commune with him. And the sons of Jacob came out of the field when they heard it. And the men were grieved, and they were very wroth, because he had wrought folly in Israel in lying with Jacob's daughter, which thing ought not, not to be done. And Hamar communed with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longeth for your daughter. I pray you, give her him to wife, and make ye marriages with us, and give your daughters unto us, and take your daughters unto you, our daughters unto you. And ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell, and trade ye therein, and get you possessions therein. And Shechem said unto her father, and unto her brethren, Let me find grace in your eyes, and what ye shall say unto me, I will give. Uh, we find that Jacob is <clears throat> back and forth. He's uh, certainly uh, had some great spiritual growth, and uh, I really can relate to Jacob's life quite a bit, as I believe many of us can, in that there are times that we go very near to the Lord, and we have great spiritual victory. And boy, those are the times we enjoy, don't we? And then there are times that perhaps we make foolish decisions and rash decisions and we don't spend the time seeking the Lord's will in the matter. And we find Jacob very much does this quite a bit. And God has uh, told him when he was with Laban to leave and to go uh, back to uh, the land of his fathers. Uh, God's intent, as he said, I am the God uh, that met you at Bethel, and he was speaking of the fact of the time that, that there was spiritual revival in the heart of Jacob, and uh, he wanted Jacob to go back for this benefit of being in a place where he could commune with God and where his heart would be close to him again. And uh, uh, I believe that it was God's desire, really, for Jacob to end up probably in the Bethel area uh, so that he was near to what the, Jacob referred to as the house of God or where God resided. So that, again, God would have His presence there. And I believe that's uh, expressed when God tells Jacob what to do back when he was with his father Laban. And uh, we've seen the fault of Jacob as he, uh, once again, kind of uh, doesn't do right by his father-in-law. Uh, we find him now having to deal with uh, Laban, his father-in-law. He's had to deal also with his own uh, character. Remember that? Uh, the night before he went to meet Esau and how God brings it to bear upon his heart, his own character. And so Jacob has had to deal with the problem of his father-in-law. He's had to deal with the problem of his own uh, shortcomings and realize just who he was. 
um, God blesses him and makes him a prince with God and uh, renews his vow of promise to Jacob. And then he goes and he meets with uh, Esau and he has to deal with his brother. And <coughs> certainly what a great uh, re- result came of that as Jacob uh, was blessed, I believe, of God in that area, but also because he showed grace and because he showed humility. Uh, I believe that Esau responded in like. And, of course, uh, we don't want to overlook the fact that God obviously had worked even in Esau's life uh, during this time. When they get ready to leave, Esau says, okay, let's go together. And Jacob says, no, I'm not going to do that. And he had some excuses and reasons. But the truth is, I think from the context of what we read in Scripture, I don't, it doesn't seem or appear to be that Jacob really ever had any intent of going with Esau and being a part of it. Even though he tells him, you go on ahead and we'll catch up with you in Seir. I don't know that Jacob ever really had that intent. Because as soon as Esau is gone, and as soon as Esau has left... Uh, Jacob puts his eyes toward the area of Shechem, which is down uh, where we're looking at today. And uh, this is an area of the country that is noted for its, uh, during this time period at least, is noted uh, for its ungodliness and uh, certainly uh, an area that, uh, if you can kind of parallel it to uh, Lot looking and putting his eyes to the well-watered plains of Sodom. Uh, that Jacob looked over towards Shechem and realized that there was opportunity, <coughs> perhaps for advancement. Uh, we certainly find that being offered to him in the middle of chapter number 34 uh, by Hamor, uh, who offers to him to be a part of the land, to buy and sell and to increase in his gain. So obviously there was some kind of a draw there, a material draw to Jacob. And he goes and he does very similar to what Lot did. He doesn't go into the city, but he pitches his uh, tent there. And then he builds a house. He buys some property and builds a house there. And he builds uh, some, some sheds and some, um, some bins for his, uh, his cattle. And so he's settling here. He's digging in some roots. And uh, we've, we get to verse number 34, or chapter number 34, verse number 1. <clears throat> And we begin to see that nothing good is going to happen in Jacob's life. In fact, probably the worst thing that Jacob has done in all of his life is happening now as he has led his family to Shechem. There's nothing good that comes from being in this area. Uh, But it says here in verse number 1, And Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. I want to just stop on this for a moment, and we're going to look at this idea uh, of uh, being careful who your companions are. Because Dinah is going to be introduced now to a young man uh, named Shechem that's in the area. He's the son of a man by the name of Hamor, who's a Hivite. And uh, this fellow is a very bad fellow. In fact, he's a pretty wicked fellow. Uh, it's interesting to me that, uh, that she takes a liking to him, perhaps, and uh, he certainly has taken a liking to her. Uh, but, you know, it's amazing to me that we live in a day where uh, we don't think that our companions are that important uh, to how they affect our lives. We're not careful with our selection of companions. I have watched even in parents and even in my own kids' lives, uh, there are times they'll come to me and they'll say, hey, I want to go do this with someone or uh, I want to go uh, this place. And I say, who's going to be there? And I find out who's going to be there. And there's been times that I've said, no, I don't want you going. And uh, there are times that they don't like that a whole lot. 
I remember when I was a kid, there were times I wanted to go places, and Mom and Dad would say, well, who's going to be there? And I'd tell them, and they'd say, no, you're not going. And uh, you say, Brother Greg, that's judgmental. No, that's being careful. Because we need to be careful of who we allow our young people especially to have as their companions. Uh, I don't like the idea of young people going to public schools. You can uh, rake me over the coals for that if you want to. Uh, I don't think it's a a healthy thing. You say, Brother Greg, why is that? Because of the companions that you know they're going to be around there. And I will tell you this, they will be an influence on them. Whether they want to or not, they are going, whether they think that they will or not, they will be an influence on your young people. We've got to be so careful of this thing. Uh, one of the big reasons why I pursue very strongly homeschooling or at least a Christian school is because of the impact that I believe the companions of our young people uh, can have on their lives. We've got to be so careful of these things. And I'm certainly uh, thankful to be able to teach and to preach that and believe that from the Bible. But, you know, so often we put our attention on the companions of our children. And, by the way, parents and grandparents, I would say this. uh, You have every right and every absolutely every um, uh, ability to control who your children's friends are. I've heard parents say, well, I don't want to judge who, who their friends are. And if I do that, then they're going to get mad at me. Uh, you know what, they need to just get mad at you then because uh, you've got to be careful who you allow your kids to run with. Jacob, Jacob just gives the keys to Shechem to his kids and, and lets them go off without any supervision, without any idea of what they're going to do, and, and it comes back to haunt him. But can I say this, and this I want to bring it home for a moment, that as important as it is for our young people to be careful of their companions, so we as adults have to be careful of who our companions are. The Bible talks about as our iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of a friend. The idea being that when you are around different people, they will affect you different ways. Uh, there are certain people that I love to be around. Uh, when I'm around them, uh, they bring up spiritual things. And we talk about spiritual things, and there's a joy there, and there's an excitement there. And uh, then there are some other people that the flesh side of me may like to be around them, but the truth is, they don't do anything for me spiritually. In fact, in some cases, would even cause my heart to become cold or drift away from the things of the Lord. The old flesh nature still has that enticement. And even though we have to put an importance on protecting our kids, and by the way, uh, we live in a society, I heard one preacher say it this way, uh, we don't have any Mayberries USA anymore. Uh, we live in a world that literally is bombarded with uh, fleshly appetites and sensualism and uh, overly uh, dri- driving people towards the area of immoral thinking and uh, even the advertisements today. You can't even see an advertisement for different products, but they don't bring some kind of uh, off-colored thing or some kind of innuendo into it. And how we've got to be so careful of these things. But, you know, our, our companions will make a difference in our lives. Jacob, I'm sure, when he went to Shechem, uh, probably the last thing he's thinking as he's coming from a place of spiritual uh, uh, victory, he's, he's wrestled with the Lord, he's uh, been blessed by God, he's just had a meeting with Esau that couldn't have gone any better than it did. And I'm sure the last thing on Jacob's mind is that his family is going to go through a time of 
of backsliding and getting away from the Lord. And I will say this, that uh, it's during the times that we are uh, many times uh, having great victory in our Christian lives that we are prone to let our guards down. We're prone to drop the, 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 uh, the, the protections, the fences, if you will, the, the barriers, the, the hedges that we have put up and that we have placed in our lives to help keep us and protect us from other things that Satan would have to destroy us with. Even Peter, Jesus warned that Satan had desired to have him, that he could sift him as wheat. And it's during those times of great spiritual victory that we have to be most on guard. And yet it's usually the time that we are the least on guard. I've, I've had people tell me before, Brother Greg, I've been down that road before and God brought me back and you'll never have to worry about me on that again. And then it's not very long before you see them right back where they were. Take heed lest we fall. We begin to think ourselves higher than we are and we begin to think that we're stronger than we are. Paul said that he himself had to be careful lest he would become a castaway. The fact that even when he's dealing with people that he could not get to the place where he thought that he had had so much victory in his life and that God had blessed his life so much and that he was so um, uh, mature spiritually that he couldn't fall. Can I tell you this? We've got to be careful who our companions are. I'm not talking about just the people that we hang around. But in the digital age that we live, do you know that many of our companions can reside on electronic devices? And we've got to be careful of those things. Our companions can be wrapped up in a television set. Did you know that? People that become engrossed in the lives of make-believe figures and characters on television, then the companions begin to influence their life. We've got to be careful of this. The Bible says this in verse number 1, that Dinah, the daughter of Leah, which she bare unto Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. The area of the land, this wicked place, oh, it may have had some good material draw to it. It was probably a very lucrative place to live. Verse number 2, it says, And when Shechem, the son of Hamar, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, <coughs> he took her and lay with her, and defiled her. The idea of defiling her has the idea that uh, he forced her, that it was not of consent. And certainly there was uh, an immoral act that was uh, given, that was, uh, took place here, because she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. In the book of Proverbs, Solomon is teaching his son, and he tells him to beware of the strange woman. There was a young man the Bible referred to in the book of Proverbs that said that uh, in the evening time he went down to a particular part of the town, an area that he should have never been in to begin with. And can I tell you this, that not only do we need to be careful of the companions that we have, but we need to be careful of the places that we go. The places that we are at, the, the, I, I've said so often before, that when we know that there's a weakness in our life, don't put yourself in a position to be tempted in that area. I've, I've had people before years ago that uh, had been alcoholics. In fact, a dear friend of mine uh, has not taken a drink in over 25 years but continues to say, I'm an alcoholic. His, his desire for it is as strong today as it was 25 years ago. He hasn't taken a drop of, of alcohol in all those years, and yet the impact of it still has a burden on him. 
You know, something that helps him to not take a drink, even though that desire and that craving is there almost all the time, he doesn't go to places where they serve it. Because he knows that that puts him in a place of temptation where he would not be able to resist. It, it limits where he's able to go. We go almost anywhere anymore, and alcohol's there. And I use that as an illustration, but we can use that with any area of weakness in our life. If there's something that is a weakness of ours, and we know that there's some place that will be enticing to that weakness, then we need to stay away from it. We need to be careful of the places that we go, the situations that we put ourselves in. And we find that Jacob was not careful about this with his daughter. She gets around the wrong companions. She finds herself in the city, in the wrong place at the wrong time. And a young man takes a fancy to her, commits an immoral act with her. And in verse number 3, notice this. The Bible says, "...in his soul clave unto Dinah." This word clave is an interesting word. In fact, we find a form of it in Genesis chapter number 2 when Jesus, or when God is telling Adam, uh, "...wherefore should a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife?" And that there is a certain unity, a oneness that comes that ought only to be there after marriage. And we're living in a day and age where people are cleaving one to another without the bonds of marriage. And we find that this is something that stirs up appetites and stirs up um, desires that are immoral things and ought not to be a part of their lives. And by the way, uh, we do need to still teach our young people this. Amen? Uh, we're living in a day where we've become too accepting of it. We've become, <coughs> we become uh, lax to it because we think, well, everybody's doing it, and, and nobody seems to think it's really all that bad and all that wrong. But can I tell you this? God does. God still thinks it's bad. God still thinks it's immoral. God still thinks it's fornication. And there's no reason to stir up things and appetites in a life. Uh, my, uh, uh, when I was a youth pastor, I had a, uh, a lady come to my office one day uh, from uh, a, a nonprofit group in our area. <clears throat> and she said, we're trying to, to uh, establish a program uh, to try to um, keep young people from getting pregnant, young ladies from getting pregnant outside of wedlock. And she said, we've had a pretty good success rate. She said, about, about 60% of our folks are abstinent. I was like, boy, that's a terrible figure, isn't it? We had a youth group where 99% of them were abstinent. And I thought, which program is better, hers or ours? And I started, I said, well, I'll look at your program. But I said, ma'am, to be honest with you, we're having better success than you are doing what we're doing. And I looked at her program, and she had some things in there. And I'm going to try to be careful. I don't think we have too many young people in here today. But one of the steps that they talked about was for a young man and a young lady to have a lot of physical contact. And I said, ma'am, you've got to be kidding me. She said, oh, no, we figure if they do that, then they won't have to have all these uh, temptations, these other things. They'll get it out of their system. I said, well, wait a minute. I said, if I have a can of gasoline here uh, sitting in my office and these fumes are building up in this room and I strike a match, you'd look at me and say, you're crazy. And I might say, well, yeah, but if I can get them both together, we won't have an explosion. She said, no, that's crazy. I said, well, that's what you're telling me. And, folks, we need to be teaching these young people things. And there's nothing wrong with teaching them holiness. By the way, there's nothing wrong with you and I practicing holiness either. It's amazing to me that as we get to be adults, we think those rules, those standards we had when we were young people 
only applied to us as teenagers. We've got to be so careful of this. It's amazing how many homes are broken today by affairs that take place. One that's unfaithful to the other. Got around the wrong companions. Got around the wrong places at the wrong time. The Bible says in verse number 3, His soul clave unto Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the damsel, spake kindly unto the damsel. And Shechem spake unto his father Hamor, saying, Get me this damsel to wife. And here we see the covetousness of an ungodly city. One of the things that made this city so ungodly was that there was no restraint. They wanted what other people had, and they didn't care what it took to get it. And you don't find any kind of, uh, of Shechem coming and asking his father. He tells him, he says, Father, get me this. I, I want this. Give it to me. And by the way, we do that a lot in our lives without realizing it, don't we? Wanting something that someone else has and doing whatever it takes to get it. But we find here that there's a, a whole city that is given to, to covetousness and the character of the city uh, is such that it is no big thing. And Jacob heard that he defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with the cattle in the field and Jacob held his peace until they were come. We've read down through verse number 11. The father has spoken to Jacob. Shechem himself has come and stood before the father of the young lady that he defiled and says, I long for her, I want her, and would you let me have her and have grace upon me? Can I tell you one of the most heartbreaking things of this passage is it didn't bother Jacob it may have bothered him a little bit, but nothing was done about the fact that this young man had defiled his daughter. Can I tell you this, that while Jacob had taken his household and they were not part of the city of Shechem, but they were shortly just outside the gates of it, that the influence of the city for however long they had been there had already taken its toll on Jacob. And sin was not sinful anymore. Can I tell you this, that if we're not careful, this will happen in our lives. Because we live in a very defiled world. And if we as God's people are not careful to come to God's Word and learn what God's thoughts are on these things, it's not very long before we become apathetic to sin. We begin to say, oh, it's okay to have sin. It's, uh, you know what, those are fine, that's alright. Brother Ron and I were talking before Sunday school this morning. And I'll tell you this, anybody that's in Jefferson County is welcome to walk through those doors and be welcome here at our church. We're not going to condone their sin when they come. But we will love the person. We will preach hard on the things that ought to be preached hard on. And I'm going to tell you this, there needs to be even more of a revival in our country of the, the things that God says are wrong being wrong once again to us. Things that God calls sin, we need to call them sin. I, I told Brother Ron, I said, if I sat in a church for months or a year and never felt God pricking my heart, then there would be something wrong with my heart. Because there's not very many times that I come to God's Word and read God's Word that I don't find something in there that I'm not doing the way I should. And we've caused 
the word conviction to be retranslated into judgment or, or offense. Well, I think that church is too judgmental. Can I tell you this? I hope my life is judged when it's laid alongside of God's Word. I don't think any man's got a right to arrogantly judge another man. But I believe that when we have the truth of God's Word and we express it in love, that God's truth has every right to judge us. We've got to be careful of that. It doesn't mean we don't love the person. It doesn't mean we don't put our arms around them and try to help them and encourage them along the way. The way that we would want someone to do it with us when we have sin in our lives. But we must not condone sin. We must not become so accustomed to the world that we live in that sin is no longer sin. I read this passage. And I saw two faces. I saw the face of my eldest daughter, Alyssa, and my youngest daughter, Reagan. And I thought, Lord, if that had happened to either one of them, I would hope that my response would be more than Jacob had. Jacob stands there and gives, gives audience to the Father and to the Son. He gives an ear and listens to what they want. We find that he's grown apathetic to the things of sin. Can I tell you this? That probably one of the greatest downfalls in Christianity today is the downplaying of ungodly and immoral living. It breaks my heart. I'll tell you, this dad has shed a lot of tears over the years. There's been times I've said things to my kids that they don't understand. But they know where I stand on the issue. Can I tell you this, that we've got to get back to a place where we are not concerned about man's opinions of us. By the way, we ought not be concerned about our kids' opinion of us. We're the parent. We're there because we love them and we're trying to help them. And be able to tell them the right way. Jacob, for all the spiritual growth and maturity that we have seen in him, makes one of the most horrendous mistakes as he goes and he takes his family to Shechem, his whole family becomes defiled. Next week we'll see even more defilement. He begins to lose his entire family, his sons, his daughters. Nothing good happens in Shechem. Can I tell you this in closing, that Jacob, I'm sure, had never, never had the intent of moving into the city. He, he, saw, he saw some things there that perhaps were made physical sense or material sense. He said, I'm not going to go into Shechem. I, I certainly don't want to be related to that group of people. But I'm going to get as close as I possibly can. 
Can I tell you this, that we live in a day where even God's people many times find themselves not wanting to be identified with the world, but trying to get as close as they possibly can. We come to church, we carry our Bibles, and we dress up nice. We sing the songs, we might amen in the service. And then come Monday, we live differently. I, I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not in Shechem, Brother Greg. I'm, I'm just outside of it. I, I'm not participating in those things. But can I tell you this? While Jacob was just outside of Shechem, it certainly took its toll on him and his family, didn't it? It certainly has already begun to influence him and his family in such a way that we look at it and say, Oh, poor Jacob. When many times we need to look at our lives and see where our life is. Say, oh, poor us. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. Having a desire for the things of the Lord sometimes. But the desire of the world has a strong pull. And we try to get as close as we can and still not be identified as being in the world. We still don't want to be identified as a carnal Christian. But boy, we're going to get as close as we can to it. Oh, that we would learn from Jacob. I'd far rather learn from somebody else's mistake than have to go through it myself, wouldn't you? I don't know the heartache. We see some of it in Scripture, but I don't know that we can ever fully understand the heartache that Jacob's going to have in his life. Because he went to Shechem. Should have been in Bethel. wonder what would have happened had he gone there. The place where God lived. This place where God had met with him. The house of God. Set his tents there. Built his barns there. I wonder what would have happened in Jacob's life. I doubt he would have lost his kids. I doubt he would have lost his family. He was too concerned with pitching his tent towards Shechem, being right outside the gate. I hope that will help us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you'll bless the Sunday school hour. And, Lord, that we learn these lessons, that they will be a help and a guidance to us. Lord, some of these hit so close to home. I pray that you'd help us to learn from them, make certain that we are doing all that we can to avoid the pitfalls of Shechem in our lives. Dismiss us with your blessings. We do pray that you'll bless the services to come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.